Amen. Our text today is the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, and we'll begin reading with verse 41. This is a very, very memorable story for all of us from childhood on up, and I think the Lord has a message for us today. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 41 and following. You follow in your version. I'll be reading out of the New American Standard Bible today. Then the Philistine came on and approached David. And with a shield bearer in front of him, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ready with a handsome appearance. And the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine, this is Goliath the giant, also said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the fields. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all His assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line, to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. So that's a familiar story. We've learned that in our earliest classes of young David fighting the giant Goliath. And there's lessons of, of much in this, in this story. Uh, if you know your Old Testament or you want to learn about your Old Testament, you might read a chapter or two in prior to this and realize that these Philistines were the main enemy that Israel was going to have to face in order to become a nation. They were a warlike people they lived along the coastal areas of, of Israel. They were also sea, seafaring people and that kind of thing, and a great warrior people. And so of all the enemies that Israel had faced in trying to claim the land that God had promised them, it was these Philistines that was going to be the major, the major uh, uh, force to face. And so uh, it happened that uh, King Saul was leading the armies of Israel, and the Philistines were gathered, it says, on two mountaintops. If I've been to that area. I've been right there in this same area, this same area where this happened. And these mountaintops are more like hilltops 
You know, over there is just sort of get, get on higher ground than your enemy was sort of the approach. And so uh, these two hills, these armies, these vast armies, how many we don't really know exactly, but vast armies were facing each other. Day after day was passing. They were getting ready to battle. They both knew they were in for a fight. But every day from the Philistines, Goliath would come down, march down the hill. It says that he was about nine feet tall. So he's a big, big man. It gives his armor. He's got all this armor on. It's like probably 50 pounds of armor. His spear weighs about 15 pounds. The head of it does. I mean, he's a mighty big man. And he's coming out and he's talking, he's talking like some of these wrestlers. If you watch wrestling at all, some of these wrestlers would get up and boast and say about all they can to, to uh, denigrate their, their foe and all of that. And he's up there and he's giving it to them. I mean, he's, he's calling them lower than anything you can imagine. And, and they are terrified. He challenges them. He says, he says, we'll just settle this thing right here. He says, you send down your champion and I will fight him and, and whoever wins gets the whole deal. And uh, let's just let it be that. Well, that's, that's sort of a, that's an interesting challenge and probably everybody hoping that somebody else would do it. And it says the armies were terrified of him. And the peoples were. And old King Saul himself wasn't about to go out there. And David, David had some brothers in that army. David had come in on a little mercy mission from his father. He was a young fella. And he brought some food and things from home to, to, be with, to, to see the boys before this great battle and to give them some nourishment and encouragement. And while he's there, he's listening to all the soldiers talking about this scary Philistine. And he begins asking questions and uh, he begins talking, you know, uh, somebody's got to get out there and face, face this guy. And sort of creating a little, you know, low morale among the troops, you might say. So finally he winds up before King Saul. His brother tried to send him home. He wouldn't go. And so he winds up before King Saul and, and, uh, and Saul there is listening to this young fellow talk and how he's defying this giant. And finally David says... I will face the giant. Saul said, you're but a lad. This man's big. He said, you, you've not even, you're not even a proven soldier. And Of course, somewhere in this story, it reminds us that David has been with the sheep by himself, day and night, guarding over the sheep. He talks about fighting a mountain lion and a, and a bear and who knows what else and protecting the sheep. So he's had some, some studies. He's also uh, been working with the sling. And you know, us, us, when we're teenagers, uh, we, we, uh, if we're into sports and things, we like to practice. We like to get out there and practice. If it's basketball, we get out, like to get out and shoot. If it's baseball, we like to get out and throw. And, and I certainly, as a teenager, played a lot of baseball. And uh, me and my dad threw the, threw the ball quite a bit to each other. And, and I played with, practiced with my teammates. And so I got a pretty good, you know, just throwing a ball. So my main defense as a kid growing up was just to carry some rocks in my pocket in case I ever run across anybody that needed to be whipped from a distance. You know, I wasn't too much of a fighter. And Saul said, all right, you want to go out there? Here's some armor. And so he has all this armor laying around. And David tries it on. And, you know, it's all too big for him. He's never worn armor before. And so he's got all this armor and it's just not fitting him. He said, I can't do this. I'm not working with this stuff. 
He lays it all down. He goes to a brook and gets five stones. Smooth stones out of the creek. Puts them in his little satchel there and he heads down with his sling. We read the story. Goliath taunted him, laughed at him, promised that he was going to feed him to the birds and the beast. And David gave it right back to him and said, the Lord's with me in this. It won't be me fighting you alone. It's the Lord God. He's going to prove himself. The Philistines started walking toward him. See if he could get up close enough to put a whooping on him. And David, it says, ran toward the Philistine. And when he got to a place, he took a stone out, put it in his sling, whipped that thing round and round and round and round, got that speed up about as good as he could get it. He released it right on the mark. It buried itself in the head of this giant. And he fell like a tree. Dead. And the armies of the Philistines were like... And the armies of Israel were like, hot dog. <laughs> and they come off that hillside, and the armies of the Philistines began to run, and the Israelites were all full of vim and vigor. And they, they took them over, and they slew the armies of the Philistines. So there's a story. And, of course, David gave all the glory to God. So what's, what's the point? What's the point? I, I remember a story of a young major league pitcher who had a great arm, a great arm. And he, and he pitched, but he, he, could, he could not stay at it. He, had, he finally quit. He was so afraid that he could not control it and that he would hit a batter that he could not play. He could not pitch. So he had fears. And it reminds us that Goliaths still arise. We can go all kinds of directions with this. But they still arise and they come against us. And these aren't just minor irritations or, you know, discomforts. But they are obstacles that appear in our path and they seem insurmountable. They seem insurmountable. That's the key here. This giant appears to be insurmountable. He's an obstacle. And so these enemies of our soul, they seem to defy us at every turn. No matter what we do, we seem to be in a, in a losing scenario. Whatever, whatever happens. And so problems, perhaps problems, unsolvable problems, and our... Every time we think we're trying to solve it, that we end up with this, this part of the equation, no solution. We cannot find the answer. Cares and worries and burdens that seem unbearable. People are dealing with them. Perhaps you are. Giants of despair. John Bunyan called them in the Pilgrim's Progress when he talked about Christian facing a giant. Or perhaps temptations. 
so unyielding, so enticing, so powerful, so irresistible, so irrepressible. Or perhaps it's guilt or fear or discouragement or maybe just bad luck. <coughs> Excuse me. But what's really, what's really significant about the giant is his size. He's so big. He simply seems to be unconquerable. He seems to be omnipotent. And that's, that's the characteristic that some of these things appear to us. These seem to be things we cannot ever deal with. And we're afraid. He can instill in us fear. That's one of his major weapons. Is the very fear that he, the giant, can instill in us. And those fears can enslave us. They can, they can chain us. They can destroy us. The attitude is, I can't. I can't. I can't do. Christian, I, in a Christian life, I just can't seem to do it. I can't seem to do it. In the church, it can be, we can't do. As a church body, it's our obligation to continue to encourage one another and have a can-do spirit in our church. Whatever the Lord has for us to do. So as a Goliath of old, these giants seek to master us and destroy our confidence in ourselves and instill fear and defeat. There's lots of scriptures we could look at. This one in verses 37 is a good one. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, chapter 17, verse 37, and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. Saul said to David, go then and the Lord be with you. So David was remembering back. And in verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, Lord of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Daniel, verse, chapter 11, verse 32, With flattery he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people know their God will firmly resist him. Paul in the book of Romans gives us one of the most inspirational passages. Chapter 8 of Romans. Verse 31 says, What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can really finally be against us? Verse 37, In all these things we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor things present, nor the future or any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As nothing. There is no power on earth can separate us from God's love. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not empty. 1 John 4, 4. Yes, dear children, 
You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And that would include the devil. 1 John 5, 4, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And so these, these giants in our life, and... We see how they come, and, and yet we have to prepare ourselves. And so David had prepared himself, his skills as well as he could, and we talked about the different skills that he had developed. He was a man after uh, God's own heart too. He not only prepared himself with his skills, as meager as they might have seemed, but he prepared his heart before the Lord. He spent time with the Lord. It, it was said he was a man after God's own heart. And, God, and Samuel was made to see that in that boy... David, there was something about God in his life. Joseph, we see something of God in your life. I could point around the room. And about everybody I know here. There's something God has put in you. That's tremendous. And when we're in faith, when we in faith believe in God, trust Him, we have a great gift to use for His glory. So he was, there was preparation. There was deliberation. He had to think about how he was going to confront this giant. He tried the armor. That wasn't going to work. And though his skills were small, with the sling, he was skillful enough and he had faith in what God might do. And so there was deliberation, there was thinking about it, and then there was execution. He executed his faith. He acted on his faith. He had made the decision, and now he was facing the terror. And he was putting his faith into action. He was putting his life on the line. And he was trusting God with his life. Whatever come out of this, God was going to get the glory David felt. He put it there. I don't know what happened if he had missed. He might have had to use his other four stones. If it had been me with a sling, I'd have missed all five times, probably. But God had a plan for this Goliath in his life. And he had... Won the victory through faith already. It took faith. He had a victory just standing there. And all this, all this to me lays out the story of Jesus. Now, Jesus is God's Son. Jesus had the forces of the Roman Empire against him the whole Jewish leadership against him. I guess he could have raised armies. He could have, done, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. But he chose, he chose to face death as a man. And he went to the cross. And it seemed to all who were watching that this was going to be the bitterest end of Jesus. Jesus showed us how to die 
in faith. He breathed his last breath in his spirit. He gave up his spirit. We know three days later, God wrenched him from the grave. He's alive. He's still alive. But what he did on the cross was for all of us. And his blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. So that we could have hope that Lee was talking about. We can be redeemed. His blood was shed for us. And so, what a difference God made. God made in His life. What a difference God makes in our life. Corey Ten Boone said, The greatest moment of your life can be when everything seems finished for you. This is the moment that you lay your weak hand in the strong hand of Jesus. In that weakest moment, I surrender. In the weakest moment. She said, Faith is the lifeline. While you're drowning at sea, only a lifeline will help you. Jesus is our only lifeline. And whatever few were following Jesus at that time, they began to meet. And they began to tell the message of Jesus and how He had overcome death. And they talked about the love of God that was for every soul. Every soul needs the Lord, not just some of us. We all need Him desperately. And so it began to grow. And they began to witness for the Lord. Began to share with others what had happened in their life and how Christ had worked in their life. And their witness was powerful. People began to listen. It really affected the people who were probably the most in need, the poor. Those who were barely scratching by, even slaves. The Roman world was full of slavery. And these people were really reaching to Christ. They were accepting Christ. And movements began to happen. And these people began to spread across the world. The known world. The Roman world. The Roman world had reached all the way to Britain over the course of years. And during the time of Nero, Nero decided that this was a sect that needed to be exterminated, this Christian people. For all his errors, he needed somebody to blame, and he picked the Christian people. One day there was a horrific fire in Rome. It lasted days. It spread across the whole Roman city, which was a great and grand city in many ways, but it began, to, it began to burn and fall apart. And the people were fleeing. The Romans were finding everything they could to get out of town. They took their, their luggage. Their, they took what valuables they had. They did their best, and they got out of town. They went to the hillsides, the seven hills around Rome, and they just camped out out there And they looked down day after day after day, and Rome was burning. And Nero, some thought, could have perhaps set the fire himself. That's just a thought. There's a famous phrase, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. He could play the fiddle. I don't think it was bluegrass, but he could play it. 
And as Rome burned, there were those who knew that Nero was already planning the rebuilding of Rome. He had, he had his architects lay out Rome in a new way to make it the fantastic city it actually became later. He didn't see it. And everything, the streets would be wider and grander and there would be all kinds of things to bring glory to Rome. And the fire burnt down and the people, as you might well imagine, were not only desperate, but they were angry. And Nero had already before this, and and the Romans had for years been having these events in the arenas where they'd have gladiators fighting each other and killing each other. It was a blood sport. And the people loved it. And they were somewhat distracted by it. And he held a grand, he held a grand uh, event in the, in the arena, the big arena there. I might say the Colosseum, but I wouldn't be sure of it. So somebody will check me on it. I'll just say the big arena. And Nero was there. And all of his, all his cohorts, his officers... And the masses of people, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of the people had gathered there to see this blood sport. And the gladiators got out and they fought to the death. And they saw the blood run. And then he began to bring in a group of people. Not long before that, he had surrounded a church in meeting. And... He arrested Christian people, believers in Jesus. And he blamed the fire on the Christians. They had said the world would end with a fire. He had all kinds of things that he took out of contact text and blamed Christians. They will not worship our God. They claim there's only one God, and that's Jesus Christ. And made them an outlaw religion. And he began to lead them in, family by family, into the center of the arena. And and then he would release lions, hungry lions, and they would come in, stalk the people, and then tear into the people and kill them, and bloody tear them apart. And the people would just scream with exultation that this great enemy was being put out. The enemy that had created this fire. And the the masses was just horrific. We might imagine a family coming in. Maybe it's a grandfather. And with him, two of his teenagers, grandchildren. And like everyone else that had come into that arena, there would be a priest there to meet them. And the priest would say, if you will deny your faith and accept the Roman gods, you may walk free. And as it had been with every group that had walked in there, they stood solidly, ready to die for the Lord. And we might imagine this grandfather and these two grandsons 
coming into the arena. They're met by the priest. They're offered this chance to survive. No response. They're led to the center of the arena and they begin to sing. Very often, a Christian will begin to sing the hymns of the faith. And the people would listen. And then they would open the doors and out would be two lines that would come. And they would be singing. The lines would approach and stalk and get just within the place ready to pounce. And they were singing. And they, the lines leaped to their victims and tore into their victims. And the people have been listening to this singing. And they listened to now one person singing. And then that song also stops. And the power of those testimonies, he went beyond this. He, he crucified Christians on the lanes of the roads and used them for light at night by burning their bodies while crucified. And the testimony of these Christians to that Roman world began to spread. These people, they're not just wanting to live for their God. They are ready to die for their God. What kind of people is this? What kind of God is this that people will would love Him so much to be willing to die for His name. And Christians began to spread and tell that story. And finally, the great Roman Empire, which no one could do anything with, began to be saturated with Christians in every, every part of the world. It's a different story than the, different, than the story of David. But the result is that God used His people, weak as they may have appeared to be, without power in their world. God used their testimony to bring redemption and hope and the power of God's love to people's lives. Your testimony, your living testimony, has that kind of power that the Lord can use it. Father, we thank you for this word, this story of this young fellow, David, and how you used his life, Lord. Probably the most powerless looking person in the whole two armies. You used his life, Lord, to bear a testimony to the whole land that the Lord is God. And through Jesus Christ, Lord, we have come to find He is our Lord and we have given our heart to Him. And Lord, we may face any kind of obstacle in life. You name it, we got it. But Lord, through Jesus Christ, we can, we can face the giants that are in our life. We don't know how the scenarios will all play out. We are just called upon to keep being faithful and stay with the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And I want to just ask you today.
Is the Lord calling you to become a Christian and be saved? Give your heart to Jesus, this God of love that calls us by His Spirit to be with Him? Or is God speaking to you today, to your own soul, about some giant in your life that you're facing? And you're called upon now to face that giant in faith. He sings big, or she, and a great obstacle. But you're willing to continue to stand firm, believing and trusting and obeying as you face whatever it is. Let's stand and sing and maybe the time to give your heart to Christ or rededicate your life or make some other decision today as we sing this song, Jesus is tenderly calling. Jesus.